continuing our study in the book of Galatians. Heidi's going to come and read to us from chapter 2. Our reading is from Galatians 2, verses 15 and 16. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. Let's pray together. Father, as we turn now to contemplate your word, we pray that your voice might be heard, that we would hear you speak and we would respond in obedience through the strength you supply by your spirit within our hearts. To the glory of your name we ask. Amen. Last Sunday morning we were considering the bold move of the Apostle Paul, who for the sake of the gospel had confronted Peter and challenged him with regard to his hypocrisy. One minute Peter had been sitting comfortably, eating with uh, and enjoying the fellowship with the Gentiles in Antioch. The next minute upon the arrival of some uh, Jews from Jerusalem who were of the uh, Judaizers party, in fear of them Peter had withdrawn. He had taken himself and segregated himself off from the Gentile believers. And the Apostle Paul would have none of this Jewish elitism. The operation of the saving grace of God binds together people of every nation, tribe and tongue and unites us into a family. We understand that before the cross of Christ there is level ground. No one can look down upon another from a position of advantage. If we have one father... We are then brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want to look now at the the big message from these two little verses that Heidi read for us. And I want to reflect, first of all, on the privileges of our upbringing. The privileges of our upbringing. Paul is continuing to glean lessons from this encounter with Peter that he wants the church in, in Galatia to understand. So he writes in verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Paul is thankful for his spiritual heritage, thankful that he was born a Jew. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. He's part of this God-favored covenant community. He's not dismissive of his upbringing. And I hope this morning that you have reason to be thankful for your spiritual heritage, for your upbringing today. Many of you were raised in church, many within this congregation. As a consequence, you'll have been well taught in Sunday school, in CE, in youth organizations, and from the pulpit. And from your earliest days, you will have heard of Jesus, and you will have been offered through him the gift of grace in salvation. 
Some of you were even raised in the homes of ministers or missionaries. Many of you were taught in Christian homes as you've grown to read the Bible and to pray. And I hope this morning you can praise God for this experience and be thankful to him for it. Maybe you're, you're thankful that as you've grown up in, in church life, you've been surrounded in teenage years with, with those who have helped to encourage you against a serious sin. And even if that's not your experience, and most of us here will have grown up in Northern Ireland where still today religious education is compulsory in our schools. So whether you've never been to church, you still will have heard the word of God, maybe at an assembly, certainly in an RE class. Now I recognize that for some, growing up in church, even growing up in a Christian family, may have been a burdensome and oppressive experience. I think uh, of one occasion when two sons stood up in a, a public setting with their father present. Their father was a prominent pastor. And they shared with how their father, who they understood, thought he was doing the right and biblical thing, but had beaten them mercilessly and had caused them to experience bitterness toward the faith their father proclaimed. And there are some sad exceptions. But hopefully we understand that for, for many of us we are a privileged people. We have much to be thankful to God for. We can say with the psalmist in Psalm 16 verse 6 that the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. I have a beautiful inheritance. Hopefully the majority of us would say I feel privileged. I feel blessed to have the upbringing I have experienced. If that's not the case, you can correct me over coffee. But I think we've had a privilege, most of us, in our upbringing. But I think also then, secondly, that that brings a problem. There are problems with our upbringing. Because there's a serious danger that being raised in church, being brought up in Christian circles, that we can begin to believe that we are better than we really are. Raised in church, raised as Christian families, we are tempted to elevate our own holiness. You know, maybe because of those experiences, we've managed to avoid the the big headline making sins. You know, certainly from my vantage point as I look across the hall, just looks as if butter wouldn't melt in your mouth. And self-deception is an ever-present danger. Self-righteousness is a snare that keeps individuals from knowing the Savior. You remember that man known to us as the rich young ruler who stood before Jesus and could claim in, in Matthew 19 verse 20, he says, all these I have kept. He elevated his holiness. And necessarily, when we elevate our own holiness, we at the same time diminish God's holiness. And when you elevate your holiness, diminish God's holiness, you think, well, really, I could reach that. I could jump that gap. It's small enough for me to get across. I think that I could make my justification, my right standing before God, easily attainable through keeping a few rules and regulations. Certainly, that was the danger facing Peter and Paul. 
That was the, the powerful message that emanated from these men called the Judaizers. See, look at Paul's claim. He said, I, I, I'm a Jew, my fellow Jews. We are not Gentile sinners. Think of Paul's life one time Saul lived as a Pharisee. He had a flawless record of law-keeping. And what had that done for him? That flawless record of law-keeping had brought him into direct opposition with the cause of Christ and the purposes of God. His physical blindness experienced on the Damascus Road was representative of his spiritual blindness to the true state of his soul before God. And it was in those moments, as never before, that he could see with clarity that all those things that he had trusted in to save him and set him right before God were snares that would damn his soul. Subsequently, he gave his life to proclaiming the message of the gospel. That whether Jew or Gentile, nothing, nothing but faith in Christ alone could see it. As Alistair Begg comments, there is no distinction in the fact of their sin, Jew or Gentile. And there's no distinction in the means of their salvation. And as the Lord opened Paul's eyes, suddenly he realized he should have known. He should have seen it. He knew the scriptures, which from beginning to end declare this great truth. That, that our only hope of, of living rightly before God is not about what we do, but about what God has done for us in the giving of his son, Jesus Christ, to save us. And so as you read Paul's epistles over and over again, let me just quote one, but he says it everywhere. He says, his great hope in Philippians 3, 9 was that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. And this brings us to the very heart of the message of the book of Galatians. This matter of justification. All religions seek to answer this one fundamental question. How can I be right before God? How can I be justified? How can I be counted as righteous in God's eyes? Martin Luther wrote this. He said, this is the truth of the gospel. It is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine, wherein knowledge of all godliness consists. Most necessarily, it is therefore that we should know this article well, teach it to others, and beat it into their heads continually. Lose this, then all doctrine, all true doctrine, is lost. Justification is the key. John Stott comments, Nobody has understood Christianity who does not understand this word. So do you understand? Do you know what justification is? Hopefully, many of you will know question 33 of the Shorter Catechism, which asks, what is justification? And answers, Justification is an act of God's 
free grace, wherein he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ, imputed to us and received by faith alone. Justification is the exact opposite of condemnation. To condemn is to declare someone guilty. To justify is to say they are innocent. And as we turn again to these two little verses, we see that there is a prevention of our justification. A prevention of our justification. Paul states it over and over and over again. Look down at at verse 16. He said, a person is not justified by works of the law. He says we're justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. For by works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul repeats himself. Why does he go on and on about this? Why repeat this message? Because we are all under this gravitational pull that drags us down to accept anti-gospel teaching that we over and over again think our standing before God or our position before God is dependent upon our performance for God we tell ourselves our position before God is dependent upon our performance for God confession time you ever been in a rush run out of house in the morning skipping your quiet time Ever not had the time or given the time to read and pray before you rush out into the day? Then later that same day, you get a flat tire. You stub your toe. You miss your train. Whatever it is. And the very first place your mind goes to is this. That's what I get for skipping my quiet time. That's what I get for skimping in Bible reading or prayer. You see, our default position is works, righteousness. Whatever our theology, in practice, so often we believe that ultimately we are justified before God by what we do, by the works of the law. And the law cannot save us. Keeping the law cannot set us right before God. Because God's standard is that we must perfectly and permanently attain to every part of the law. Even if on one occasion we break one part of the law, we are guilty of it all and deserving of God's wrath upon us. James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point becomes guilty. Of it all. So, what then is the use of the law if it can't save us? What good is it? Well, Joseph Pippa in his commentary in Galatians explains The law teaches us that no one can be justified before God by works of the law. The church is negligent in its use of the law in evangelism. We must preach the law. People need to be exposed to the whole demands of God, for it is the law of God that will break the heart of a sinner and drive him to Christ. Have you ever said to someone, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me my jumper was on back to front? 
Why didn't you tell me I got something stuck between them teeth? Why didn't you tell me I got chocolate over my face? And in those moments, we needed a mirror to see our imperfections, that they might be addressed. And God gives to us his perfect law that we might look in the truth of his word and see how far short of his perfection, how far short of his standard of holiness we stand. The law cannot save, it cannot set us right with God. It actually prevents our justification should we pursue it as the pathway to be right with God. But the good news of the gospel is this. That the message that Paul gives his his life to proclaim is this. That there is abundant provision for our justification. And the provision for our justification is the gift of faith in Jesus Christ. In his great book, The Cross of Christ, John Stott puts it this way. He calls this the righteous way of righteousing the unrighteous. The righteous way of righteousing the unrighteous. Now, although it is included, justification is so much more than pardon. Sadly, many Christians have this limited view of what God does. They, they, they believe that, 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 that those who have faith in Christ are pardoned, which is true, but only pardoned. But we are justified. And I've used this illustration before, but I think it's a really helpful one. Imagine, I know you're going to have to use your imagination because you would know nothing of this, but imagine that you were in in massive debt, hundreds of thousands of pounds in debt. Here's a man, hundreds of thousands of pounds in debt, and he goes to the bank and he confesses that there is just no way he could ever repay what he owes. And the owner of the bank gives him good news. He says, don't worry about that debt. I'm going to cancel that debt. I am going to wipe your slate clean. Now that would be incredible generosity. That would cause the man to feel eternally grateful. And many Christians mistakenly think that that's what God does for us through Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus achieves for us on the cross. He wipes our slate clean. But in that illustration... If that was the case, that man would walk from the bank, all his debt cleared. But what would he have in his pocket? Nothing. How would he provide for his family? What would he use to buy the food they need? Generous as that pardon was, it left the man without the resources to live. His slate was clean, but his hands were empty. And if Jesus merely wipes our slate clean, if Jesus merely cancels our debt, we would leave his presence and we would go out into life, out into the world with this newly cleansed slate free from the stain of sin, but relying in our own strength, our own good works to keep it so and that would swiftly lead to despair and to failure. And pardon is important, but it can never be enough. We need so much more. We need justification 
So back to the bank, back to that story. Imagine this man with his huge debt cancelled. What a weight off his shoulders, but that's only the beginning. For the owner of the bank says, you know, from now on, right this moment, I am depositing into your account millions of pounds. So the possibility of debt in your life will never happen again. And not only am I giving you here and now millions of pounds, but I am guaranteeing you, assuring that in the future, all that I have will be yours. My home will belong to you. And when the Catechism talks about the imputation of Christ's righteousness in our lives, this is what it means. That the slate of our lives is not only wiped clean, but it is then indelibly covered with Christ's righteousness. That the stain of sin will never again be upon it. So we began our service with those words of Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad and rejoice, O righteous. A minister was trying to teach a Sunday school class how to be saved. This class had been very well taught. So he asked him and said, if I sold everything and give all my money to the church, if you want to, that's fine, but if I sold everything and give all my money to the church, would I go to heaven? And that well-drilled class said, no. The minister said, that's very good, that's right. And he said, if I worked hard and kept all the Ten Commandments, would that get me to heaven? Once again, the children together as one said, no. Very good, that's right. He said, and if I was baptized, would that get me to heaven? Once again, the children said, no. The minister replied, well done. And if I repented of my sins and believed that Jesus died for my sins, And if I asked him to save me, would that get me to heaven? And the children all replied, no. No, said the minister, that's not the right answer. Then what would I have to do to get to heaven? And as one, the children replied and said, die. (laughs) Jesus is the only suitable and sufficient saviour of the sinner. And the English Puritan and Presbyterian John Flavel wrote, He will be all or none of our justification. He will be all or none in our justification. And if you want to go to heaven, you will have to die to all attempts at self-salvation. Jesus is not interested in taking on business partners. As we're going to see in a few minutes, thou must save and thou alone. You know the end of the familiar story in Luke 15 of the prodigal. One person didn't enjoy the special party that was thrown to mark this new birth, this resurrection of the once dead 
son, the father's wayward child. Do you know what happens while the party's in full swing? The father goes out to the older brother. And the older brother makes this statement which is so deeply revealing. Luke 15 verse 29. He answered his father. Look, these many years I have served you. And I never disobeyed your command. He had served. He had obeyed. He had lived well, but he failed to understand the grace in his father's heart. His works righteousness kept him out of the celebration. And until you understand that you are a hopeless and helpless sinner, lost without Christ, you will not, you cannot be saved. And either the shame of your sin, Or the sheen of your self-righteousness will keep you from entering into this wonderful celebration. Until you understand how repeatedly you have failed to attain to God's perfect standards in the law. Until you come to the place where you cry out that, Lord, you sent your son into this world to die for sinners. And I am a sinner, and Christ is my only hope. For Jesus' sake, save me. Please, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Until you come to that place, you stand outside his kingdom, lost to him. From wherever you've been Come broken hearted Let rescue begin Come find your mercy Oh sinner, come kneel Earth has no sorrow That heaven can't heal Earth has no sorrow That heaven can't heal So lay down your burden Thank you.
that heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. So lay down your burdens, lay down your shame. All who are broken, lift up your plates. Oh, wanderer, come, help me, you're not too Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel, your all-sufficient grace to save us from our sins. Lord, may it be that we know that without you there is no hope for us. There's no merit in the good things we do. Lord, forgive us if we think that somehow we can Elevate our holiness, reduce yours so that we might cross that divide in our own strength. Show us the futility of attempting to save ourselves. May we know the great truth that Jesus has done it all. And he must see it. Lord, may we know his saving grace in our lives and rejoice in it. Living lives of faithful obedience to you because we have received your gift. May we understand that the door is open, the invitation is given. We can come as we are. You'll never love us more than you do right now. May we be received into your arms and join that great celebration that will last for all eternity around your throne with all your people. We pray through Christ. Amen.